let's read First Peter chapter two verses four through ten. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of God. One quick prayer for the Lord's help. Lord, make the book live to us that we might live in Jesus Christ. Amen. I have a friend in Valley City who I've helped work on construction projects in his, in his house uh, off and on for the last five years or so. His home happens to be an old bank building, a three-story construction of concrete, triple reinforced with iron bars, built in about 1900. I've helped put in cabinets and move materials, frame walls. I'm basically a glorified tripod. I can hold things and carry things, and he does most of the real work. But anyone who's worked on old buildings can tell you that there's a funny calculation you have to make anytime you add a wall or a window or a door. See, my friend would ask me, as I'm holding a 2x4 ready for him to fix it in place, is it level? Is it level according to what, is usually my reply. Because there's four different options. Do you want it to be level according to the floor, or the wall, or the ceiling, or the little bubble between the lines? Because, you know, the building has that quality that uh, we affectionately call character. You know, it's got character. You won't find a 90-degree angle or a straight line, corner, anything in the place. It's got a lot of character. Something not quite secure in its foundation has given it kind of a slouch. You know, one corner has sunk and uh, the rest of it followed suit. But you can find that in almost any old building around here. We even kind of expect old buildings to slouch. You know, if you drive past an old farmstead, you wouldn't be surprised 
to see the house, the barn, a little bit, you know, kilter, cattywampus, whatever words we use in our Norwegian-German way, or even crumpled under its own weight. But if you look at all the buildings that have survived for thousands of years in the old world, you'll see that they don't have this problem. Roman and Greek temples still stand. The pyramids of Egypt are older than Abraham, and they remain. And if you ever take a trip to Jerusalem, to the great western wall, what remains of the second temple, you can see why that temple mount has stood for 2,000 years. In the tunnels running, un- running underneath the temple mount, you can see and you can even touch the foundation stones that have held for millennia. The largest stone there is 45 feet long, 11 feet high, and it's estimated it goes nine feet into the wall. Be about 300 tons. One rock. And nobody really knows how Herod the Great managed to move a 300-ton stone into place, but it has not moved since. And foundation stones of such size were, were used not only just to steady the structure against the collapse, they were also the way that you made sure the whole building was level and square. They're what is known as a cornerstone, named for their place in the corner of the construction. The cornerstone was the first stone placed. Everything else was lined up against it. So if that stone was crooked, your whole structure could collapse. But if it were perfectly set in place, the rest would also be perfectly set in place. Now, in this passage, Peter is telling the church that it is such a structure. Even in the midst of trials and persecutions, it is the temple of God, built not out of lifeless rock, but living people. But this passage is not first about the people of God and how we live versus how those who reject God live. This passage is first about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, and how people react to him because of him. Because he is the cornerstone of the living temple, not a 300-ton lifeless rock, but a living stone. And because he is the cornerstone, all who wish to build must line up with him and build upon him. Now, there's a lot to take in in this passage. Some of the most memorable verses out of 1 Peter are here. But what I want to focus on is Peter's first statement about Jesus. He calls Jesus a living stone rejected by men 
but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Now, in this whole passage, Peter very skillfully weaves together passages from the prophets. He writes wonderful things about the church of God. He argues that Christians are the true Israel over against their Jewish persecutors and the Judaizers. But all this flows from who he sees Jesus to be. So if we're to be faithful, if we're to be the living temple, we must first see Peter's Jesus. The first thing Peter says, he's a living stone. Jesus is a living stone, not just because he's a human who's alive instead of an impersonal piece of granite. No, there's more to that word. As Peter was taught by Jesus, who said of himself, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Peter had heard Jesus say to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Peter saw with his own eyes Jesus resurrect Lazarus and many others from the dead. And Peter walked with Jesus after his own resurrection. He saw Thomas put his fingers in the holes in his hands and his side. He saw him eat fish on the seashore and ascend into heaven. And he received from him the Holy Spirit. Peter knew intimately the truth that John records for us in the prologue of his gospel. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Not just life that consists in breathing and heartbeats, but life that was from the beginning. He's the author of life. And although his life was the light of men, he was rejected by men. So Peter says, a living stone rejected by men. Now why does it matter that Jesus was rejected by men? Even in fact by the very builders who were looking for him, looking for a cornerstone. Well, it fulfills the prophecies that Peter quotes. It also consoles Christians who at the time were also being rejected by men and suffering for their Savior. And it shows that you cannot be neutral about Jesus. He was rejected. And if you follow Jesus, you too will be rejected by men. 
you consider his excellencies, you will find that to be a small sacrifice. For although he was rejected by men, in the sight of God, he is chosen and precious. And this is the heart of the matter. This is, this is what everything else is built on. Jesus is chosen and precious in God's sight. These are not two separate things. It's not that Jesus was rejected by one and accepted by another in two separate ways. They're one and the same. In John 10, Jesus tells us why. Why he is chosen and precious. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Do you see what Jesus says? He says that God the Father loves him because he died for you, for his sheep. Because what he accomplished by being rejected by men was the making of a people, a holy priesthood who can offer right sacrifices to God. I was just talking about Peter's viewpoint of Jesus, how Peter sees Jesus, but really what we see here is how God sees Jesus. And if anyone ought to be our authority on what is good and right and perfect, it's God. Consider how mighty Jesus is to save when it is God himself who chose him for the task. Consider how lovely Jesus must be if God himself calls him precious. What does God have? Absolutely everything. What can God do? Absolutely anything he wants. And in all of creation, and in all possibilities, what does he see as most precious? Jesus Christ. So look at Jesus. This is, this is always Peter's sermon. In the book of Acts, we see a couple of sermons of Peter. This is always what he says. He's saying, look at Jesus Christ. He's the one you rejected and God has accepted. His flesh was whipped and ripped and bloodied. A cap of needle-like thorns pierced his scalp. So blood would flow down and pierce that word. 
pierced through hands and feet with big old nails, pierced through his side with a spear. Now think of that. Imagine it. Isn't it a horrible sight? If you were to see something so dreadful, you would throw up or faint, or both. There there are horrible things in this world. Terrible car crashes, execution, suicide, war. Never still has there been anything so awful, awful in every sense of the word, as what occurred on Calvary, the place of the skull. A man hangs there from an execution. Blood covering him, his own blood. Blood more than would seem to be able to come out of a human body. And he breathes heavily. Every breath is a fight. And even still, he cries. God, oh God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Because his worst agony is nothing I've yet described. Not the rejection of the builders, the priests, nor the Roman whip or the Roman cross were the real pangs of his death. We see the prophet Isaiah tells us, and this is probably a very familiar passage, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. There it is. The stone rejected by the builders, the stone rejected by men. Why? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We are sheep who have gone astray. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. For that reason, the Father loves me. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What could be worse than the torture devised by the Romans? Hell. Sin. The cup that Jesus asked the Father to take from him in Gethsemane was not the wrath of Pontius Pilate. 
but the wrath of God against sin. Again from Isaiah 53, passage in Isaiah. It says, It pleased the Lord to crush him. It pleased the Lord to crush him. That's why he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because his God had forsaken him. Because Jesus Christ held your sin in himself. And when God had poured out all the pain and torment of your cup of hell on Jesus, he drank it down full. So he said, it's finished. And when this man, when we look at him and we can esteem him as smitten by God and afflicted, as despised in our eyes, what does God say of this man that he was pleased just then to crush into death? That's my boy. This is my son, my beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. Jesus is in God's sight, chosen and precious, because he laid down his life for his sheep. And God raised him up and seated him at his right hand and called him Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel. The scripture reading that Blaze read earlier, which is also one of the passages that Peter quotes from, shows that it was all the purpose of God for God to be the rejected stone. But the Lord of hosts, that's Yahweh, the I am, him you shall honor as holy. He says, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling. The Lord, a sanctuary and a rock of stumbling. Jesus laid down his life for his sheep, and he offers himself for you. But he is the cornerstone over which many stumble. And if you reject him, you will find that he who offered himself for you is now against you. He is both a sanctuary for those who come to him and the stone of offense. But if you would learn to love Jesus and love him more, to make him your sanctuary so that you would be a living stone in the temple of God, 
and look at him as God does. The most precious thing about him, he laid down his life for you. Because when God the Father looks at Jesus Christ, his son, what he sees as his best quality is that Jesus Christ would look out on this great mass of sinners who deserve nothing but hell and say, my father, I will take their punishment for them so that they can be with me and with you. My father, I'm not willing that they should perish. I would rather suffer in their place than they should. He is chosen and precious. He laid down his life for his sheep. Do not stumble over the cornerstone. But rather, what Peter says, very beginning, it's almost hidden in its simplicity. Peter says, as you come to him, as you come to him, as you come to him, you are being built up. As you come to him, you are made into a chosen race and royal priesthood. As you come to him, you who had once not received mercy, now as you come to him, you have received mercy. Let's pray. Lord, what can we feeble creatures say? In Jesus Christ, there are excellencies enough for you to be well pleased. Even as John wrote, if, if everything that Jesus had done were to be written, the books, the world could not contain the books that would be written. We are grateful eternity will not be able to exhaust the glory of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, by your Spirit, help us to see Him as you see Him. 
help us to come to him and be fashioned into your dwelling place. So that when every tongue calls him Lord, our tongues may do it joyfully and praise him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.